Well, welcome to Church 1030 and those of you watching online. Um, I've been excited all week for today. If you haven't been here in a while, we're in the midst of this series called Adam and Eve where we've been focusing on the challenges faced by men and women and where we've also been learning how to love each other better. And we started two weeks ago by looking at two big lies that many people believe, two big traps that people can fall into. And lie number one was this, that, that I'm not good enough. And we covered some major areas of life, like our appearance, our home, our kids, our relationships, our career, even our religion, that many people, and especially many women, try to find their identity in, and they wind up feeling like they just don't measure up, and they're just not good enough. But we combated that lie by looking at truth from God's word, and God's word said this, this is what we discovered, that we might feel like we don't measure up, and we might feel like we're not good enough, but the truth of God says that in Christ, I am priceless. In Christ, I am priceless. That your identity, that your self-worth is not based on your circumstances in life, but instead it's based upon your relationship with the God who loves you so much that he knew every single wrong that you would ever do in your entire life. And guess what? He chose to make you anyway. And he sent his son Jesus to die for you and redeem you of your sins. And then last week, we looked at the big lie number two, which says this, I'm not worth the pursuit. I'm not worth the pursuit. And we combated this lie by discovering that Jesus is proof that I'm worth the pursuit, that the blood-stained cross and the empty tomb are proof that we are worth the pursuit. Because after Adam and Eve, you know, fell into the original sin and just kind of unleashed chaos into the world, God did not give up on them. And he didn't give up on us, their descendants. No, God would eventually send his one and only son, Jesus, to save us. God has never given up on us. Now, today we're going to focus in um, a little bit differently. We're going to focus in today on our singles a little bit. And we're going to ask five questions that every single woman should ask. Now, you might be thinking, well, well, Pastor, why do a message for such a small group? And I'm glad you asked. And the reason is, first of all, it's, it's not a small group. From our students at Fuse to our young adults to uh, many of our adult women who have never been married or have been divorced or lost a spouse, we have many single women here in our church. Secondly, the stuff we're going to talk about today is just an extremely important topic because while this message is going to emphasize our singles today, there's application for married people. There's application for parents, and there's also a challenge to all of our men, both our married men and our single men today. And church, I'm a big believer in primary prevention. I believe that we could avoid a lot of the pitfalls that wind up happening in marriage if we actually worked a little bit more on trying to get dating right. And so if you're single and you're here today, just know that I've been praying for all of you singles all week long that God would would allow you to kind of be open to receiving this message today and that it might powerfully, powerfully impact your life. So you guys ready this morning? Sweet, let's dive in. On May 23rd, 2003, the way that I viewed women took a major turn, specifically the way that I viewed single women because that's the day that my first daughter, Liberty Madison, was born. You guys can all say, aw, yes. I got permission from her um, to show this photograph um, with one caveat. I had to let you all know that, yes, I did say May 23rd. Today is her 18th 
birthday, and as a very poor high school senior, she takes checks and cash. She wanted me to share that with you guys. And then on April 13th, 2005, and on June 13th, 2008, my other two daughters, Alexia Nicole and Cassidy Rebecca, were born. And so these are my three girls. And so as I was preparing for this week's message, I tried to think about what I really want my girls to focus on in their lives when it comes to relationships and ultimately their walk with God. And I know that um, many of us, as we discussed last week, maybe have struggled with a fractured relationship in our childhood with our fathers and might have some, some daddy issues growing up. And, and you guys may look at me and the way I talk about my girls and my kids, and you might think, you know, I wish I had a dad who talked about me like that. But I'm here today to tell you something that maybe you don't know. You do. You do. In fact, your heavenly father's love for you would make my love for my three girls look microscopic. And so if you didn't know that today, I just want you to know that you have a heavenly father who loves you and his love for you is amazing. With that in mind, I want to unpack today five questions, five big questions that I think that every single woman should ask. And it might get a little bit tense this morning. I just want to prepare you, but I think we're also going to have some fun. And my hope is that God will use this to launch you, all of you, into healthier relationships. So question number one is this. Question number one is this. Am I who he is looking for? Am I who he is looking for? And I think this is a great question because in our culture, we tend to suffer a little bit from single sickness. And it kind of goes like this. I'm incomplete. My life's fallen apart. Everything about me is wrong. But when I find the right one, it's going to be great and I'll never have a bad day ever again. Right? Married people are laughing on that one. And you know what? I'll never need to worry about patience because he will never test my patience. And I won't have to worry about anger because he'll never make me angry. And I won't have to deal with the baggage or scars of my past because he would never do anything to push my buttons or hurt me or rip that scab off. And let me, let me tell you something today, single women. That man is out there. You will find him standing right between the leprechaun and the unicorn, Okay. And for those of you who aren't like fully awake this morning and you're like, how do those things relate, Pastor? Um, none of them exist, okay? He is not out there. He's a fairy tale. And if you ever do find a guy who you think is perfect and awesome, um, guess what? If you ever put that kind of weight on his shoulders, it will crush him. Why? Because he's not God and he can't stand under the weight of your worship, so instead of trying to fight, find the right one and looking for the right one, I think the challenge for all of us should be this. How can I become the right one? How can I become the right one? How can I work on my relationship with Jesus so that I can become the right one? If you have your Bible with you, let's go back to Genesis 2, which we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, and let's, let's unpack it a little bit more. Genesis 2, 18, it says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a, what's that next word, church? Helper. helper, suitable for him. Single women, the scriptures say a helper. So here's my question to you. If God gave you a man in your current spiritual condition, would you help him or hurt him in his walk with Christ? Because women, the Bible doesn't say that a man is supposed to reign over you and rule over you. Scripture doesn't say that. In my life, I don't reign over my wife, Julie. She helps me. She comes alongside me. 
She's my partner in life. I help her in her walk. She helps me in my walk. We're mutually beneficial to each other, and we practice mutual submission with one another. I'm not dragging her along, kicking and screaming, and she's not dragging me. It's a beautiful thing because I married the one that I believe that God designed to walk alongside me in this life. So women, if God gave you a man today, would he say, thank you, Jesus? Or would he say, why me, Lord? Are you walking with Jesus? And again, that doesn't mean you're perfect. None of us are. We say it all the time here. What do we say? We say no perfect people, right? There are no perfect people here. But are you currently taking steps in your walk with Jesus? Today's the day to stop looking for the right one and to start becoming the right one. Question number two, am I desperate? Am I desperate? Did you know that desperate people make bad decisions? Like nobody's ever said to you, that was a great decision. How'd you make it? I was just desperate, right? Listen, women and men, one of these days, you're going to want to tell your story. Uh, every week, Julie and I, we have the privilege of meeting with some wonderful couples from this church. We do a marriage Bible study at our house on Thursday night and on Friday night, and we've had the opportunity over the last, you know, two and a half years to connect with so many couples. We also go out to dinner with couples um, and get to know them better, and, and we've been doing that, you know, all throughout our years in pastoral ministry. And, and one of the things that I love to hear when we go out with a couple is I love to hear their love story. I love to hear the story of how they met and fell in love. I love that. And we've heard some really interesting stories over the years. But guess what? This is not a story that you want to tell your children or your grandchildren someday. This is not the story you want to tell them. You don't want to say, okay, kids, gather around, gather around. Here's how grandpa and I got together. There was nobody left. I mean, all our friends got married, and so I saw your grandpa, and I knew I could do much better, but I was desperate. He, he's kind of like that, that stale box of Ritz crackers in the back of the pantry. And, and I knew there was better stuff out there, but I didn't want to get in the car and drive over to Walmart, and so I settled for grandpa. He's my stale, dried-out crumb. Oh, that's so sad, grandma. Like, that's not a love story, right? That's like more tragic than the end of a Nicholas Sparks film. Desperate people don't make great decisions. In fact, desperation in dating always leads to destruction. Always. And our culture especially feeds into the desperation of women. You know how I know? One of the most popular reality shows on TV is The Bachelor. Well, what's so bad about The Bachelor, Pastor? Well, let's examine it, shall we? You start with a really good-looking guy, right? And he's tall and athletic and broad shoulders and great hair. Maybe not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but he looks like he could be in a soap opera. And then you take 25 women and you have them com compete over him. And it turns into like the movie Mean Girls, right? Where they, they talk about each other behind their backs and sabotage each other. He goes on group dates in the beginning. And then each round, if he wants to keep the girls, what does he give them? A rose, right? There's a rose ceremony and he gives them a rose. And then once it gets narrowed down to a few remaining girls, he starts doing individual dates. And he starts going on these one-on-one -on -one dates with them. And he usually winds up hooking up with several of them. And then it gets down to four girls. And when it gets down to these four women, he then goes and visits their families, right? 
And he'll go and he'll, you know, he'll meet her father and shake his hand. He'll be like, hello, sir. It's nice to meet you. I'm going to mess around a little more with your daughter and a few other women. And if you're lucky, I'm going to choose your daughter. And if I was the dad, the show would end right there because I would snap his neck in the doorway and that would just be the end of it, okay? Might even boost ratings. Like, I'm that dad. I mean, you mess with my daughter's heart, you're going to feel the fire of my shotgun, okay? And, and so people watch the show and they think, oh, that's awesome. That's so romantic. And it's constantly voted the most romantic show on television. But here's the deal. There have been 25 seasons of The Bachelor. Only one winning couple has gotten married and still together to this day. So how about that? right? That would be like if I said, hey, let's go skydiving after church, everybody. We've got 25 parachutes. One of them might work. Anybody on that trip? <laughs> I didn't think so, right? See, we tend to think of marriage as the Disney fairy tale, happily ever after. But married people, help me out, is happily ever after with no problems or conflict ever in a relationship, is that fact or fiction? That's right, fiction. Some of you know this, some of you who are single, you know this. You saw it play out in your parents' relationship. Happily ever after is a myth. And that's why in marriage, we take vows in the marriage ceremony. And we say things like, for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, right? If happily ever after was real, the preacher would just say, be happy. And that would be the service, right? Let's watch how this plays out for Adam and Eve, picking up in Genesis 2, verse 19. It says, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man, to Adam, to see what he would name them. Uh, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So we talked about this, how God gave Adam a job to name the animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. As we talked about last week, God gave Adam this job to name the animals, like coolest job on planet Earth, right? At first, he was really, really excited about it. Hippopotamus, platypus, Komodo dragon. Then he stopped caring, honey badger, right? And, and then after working hard, Adam goes to sleep. Notice single guys, it says that after he worked hard, he went to sleep, not after playing Xbox all night, okay? Continuing in verse 21, and while he was sleeping, the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and Eve were both naked, and they felt no shame. And to that, all the married people say, amen, right? Like, I love that verse. Love that verse. And I've talked to some single guys, they're like, well, I know how to do that. Yeah, but can you do it and feel no shame? You and her. That's the blessing of marriage. And see, in this account, there was no desperation. So while he's asleep, God creates woman. And we talked about this in the series. God develops a personal relationship with her. He is Eve's heavenly father. And then he brings her to Adam after he establishes that relationship. And they get together and nothing is forced and no one is desperate. Eve was not created by God and started screaming, I need a man. That didn't happen. 
And so, women, here are two warning signs that you might be getting a bit too desperate. Number one, if you're constantly pursuing guys and you feel incomplete if you're not in a relationship, that should be a big red flag in your life. If that's the case, you have probably bought into the lie that you're not worth the pursuit and you are placing your self-worth on your relationship status. If you're constantly chasing a relationship, you have to be in a relationship in order to feel good about yourself, that should be a big red flag to you. The second way you know you might be getting too desperate is this. Number two, you're sleeping with someone you're not married to. Some people can become so desperate for intimacy that they're willing to sacrifice real intimacy with Jesus for fake intimacy, false intimacy with a person. And you might argue, well, pastor, I don't think it's false intimacy. Really? Stop sleeping with them and see how long they stick around. And here's one thing I can guarantee. You cannot fully pursue Jesus with your entire heart and pursue sexual immorality at the same time. You can't. Let's move on to question number three. Why am I attracted to him? Single women, here's another question you should ask. Why am I attracted to him? Over the years, I've heard some really wrong answers to this question. He's cute. He won't be. Give it time. Okay? Age happens to all of us. That six-pack you love can quickly become a keg. His great hair can turn gray. It might give up altogether and fall out. I'm amazed how many young women are attracted to the wrong kind of guy. I, I remember in middle school, there was a guy named Preston, and he was a bully, and I, I think he was named that because he could literally press a ton, okay? Some of you are thinking, what if Preston's listening right now? Aren't you scared? He's not. He's probably in prison, okay? But Preston was my neighborhood bully growing up. He liked picking on anyone smaller than him, which was all the kids in the neighborhood and most of the adults. He had failed at least two grades. There were rumors he might have failed more. I, I don't know for certain, but I know he was the only kid in middle school with a beard and a driver's license, okay? But Preston would walk around in his 80s denim, you know, jean jacket, smelling like smoke and causing trouble and picking on people. But some of the middle school girls in our school were like, he is so dreamy. And the guys were like, Preston, really? Women. Please make wise choices. If not for you, think about your future children. Imagine them screaming, Mom, give us a fighting chance. Please don't pick Preston, okay? He's not what we need. You've got to think, why am I attracted to him? Eve was attracted to Adam because he worked hard for her. Even before he knew her, he was working towards her. He's naming the animals, and he's like, all right, he's naming them, he's naming them. He's like, God... Now, these animals, they're, they're coming by in twos, and they look the same, but they're a little bit different. And God's like, yeah, that's a boy elephant, that's a girl elephant. Well, what am I, God? You're a boy. Well, do I get a girl in my life? Yeah, you got to finish your job. And he finishes naming the animals so he can meet Eve. Women, let me ask you a question. One of these days, when you meet a man and he's willing to fight for your heart, is it going to be more romantic for him to say, yeah, I lived my life dated everybody I wanted, did everything I wanted to do, and now I'm ready to finally settle down with you? Or would it be more romantic for him to look at you and say, I have worked my entire life only for you for all these years. I have prayed for you for years before I even knew your name. Women, that's a man of God. 
He's willing to fight for your purity and his own. And he's willing to lead you towards Christ and away from compromise. By the way, if he's a man of God, you shouldn't have to drag him to church. He'll lead himself. And so beautiful women of this church, when a guy asks you out, and you're beautiful, there are going to be guys who ask you out. When he asks you out, here's a great first question. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Well, I don't know if I could ask that. Isn't that a little bit forward? See, we're afraid to ask that question because we think they'll run away. But what if that was your number one criteria for the guy who gets the privilege of being in a relationship with you? Do you love Jesus? Because if you don't love Jesus, then we don't need to really waste our time doing whatever this is in this relationship. Well, I believe in God. So do the demons. Well, I'm a Christian. Well, 80% of our country identifies as Christian. Are you in love with Jesus? Because he's the center of my life. I worship him. I serve him. I believe he died for my sins and rose again. And when I get married someday to a very lucky guy, Jesus is going to be the center and foundation and glue of our marriage. So if he's not the center of your life, we're just wasting time. Do you love Jesus? Question number four. Are there issues with him that I'm avoiding? Are there issues with him that I'm avoiding? Confrontation is not easy. There's not a lot of people who enjoy confrontation. And there are some things we just don't like talking about. Again, my, my degree is in, in uh, counseling, in clinical pastoral counseling. And I did counseling with couples for years. And many of the clients who were couples who came in for marriage counseling, I would have a spouse who would start to lay out a laundry list of all their grievances against their spouse. And they would tell me all the terrible things their spouse were doing. They shout and they yell and they ridicule me and make fun of me and, and they have an addiction and they're terrible with money and on and on and on and on and on, all these complaints they had about their spouse. And one question I would ask is, were they like that before you got married? And they would say, yeah, I mean, all the time. And they had a bad temper even before we got married. And so now I would ask a follow-up question. Well, then why did you marry them? Here's the answer I heard so many times. I thought I could change them. I thought I could change them. Understand this truth today. Marriage doesn't make you a better person. Marriage only magnifies the person you are. That's what marriage is. Marriage works as a magnifier. The great stuff in your life can become greater the terrible things in your life could become worse. Why? Because when two people bump together and their lives collide, a lot of the junk in our lives can overflow and come out. If he's road raging and flipping off school children in a crosswalk, that's a problem. Okay? Here's another one. Does he constantly flirt with other women? Like you're out with him on a date and his eye is always lingering on somebody else. Some women think when we get married, he'll only have eyes for me. No, miss, he'll probably cheat on you. You have the right to confront him now. Can we talk about the way that you just looked at her? That made me uncomfortable. Does he talk down to you? Does he make fun of you in front of his friends? Are you always the butt of his jokes? Because if you are, when you get married, that doesn't go away. And a few years from now, here's what's going to happen. He's going to be disrespecting you in front of your children and teaching them to do the same. And because you're compassionate, you think, well, maybe I can change him. I think I can change him. But women, you need to hear this today. You're not God. 
And you're thinking, I can make him a good man, but Jesus didn't die on a cross so that we could go from being bad people to good people. He died on the cross so that we could go from being dead people to alive people. And the problem isn't that he's a bad guy. The problem is that you're likely dating a corpse and that he needs to come to life. And he comes to life not through a relationship with you, but through a relationship with Jesus. Here's what Proverbs 14 says. It says, the simple believe anything. But the prudent, the wise, give thought to their steps. Women, give thought to the steps in your relationship. I'm going to change, baby. Let's just get married. Don't believe it. Think. If there's a red flag, address it now. Don't rush into a marriage thinking it's going to go away. Why? Because, again, marriage is a magnifier. It's a magnifier. Question number five, last one, and then we'll wrap up today. Is he God's best? Is he God's best? One of the things I love is hanging out with my family. I love hanging out with my wife and, and my five kids. And I, I told you guys a few weeks ago about my daughter, Casty when she was little, um, eating some banana bread crumbs off the floor. Well, this week, it, it actually happened again. It happened with my one-and-a-half-year-old son, uh, Lincoln. My wife, Julie's birthday was last week. And uh, my brother and sister-in-law, Rebecca and Jason Darling, came over with their girls, my nieces, um, Abigail and Emma, and they brought this amazing cake with them. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to go to this bakery yet in South Portland. It's called um, Nothing But Bunt Cakes, Nothing Bunt Cakes, really good. And so they brought this amazing bunt cake over, and my son Lincoln, he like loved it. And so the next day, I cut him, we still had some left over, I cut him a piece um, of this cake, and he was holding it in his hands and taking bites of it and walking around the kitchen um, when our dog, Remy, who's the same age as Lincoln, um, came into the kitchen and looked at him and said, hmm, that looks good, and ate it right out of his hand. And Lincoln, like, flipped out. I mean, he flipped out. He was crying. He immediately went to the floor and started picking up the crumbs that were falling out of the dog's mouth to try to eat the crumbs from this cake. And I was like, stop that. That's nasty. And I picked him up off the floor, and he started bawling because he wanted the crumbs. But see, I didn't want him to eat the crumbs. I wanted to put him in his seat and give him a brand new piece of that delicious cake because I'm his father, and I love him. I believe there's a heavenly father who wants to speak to some of his daughters this morning. And he's saying, you don't have to settle for the crumbs. There's a feast waiting. And I can do immeasurably more than, than you could ever ask for or imagine. Women, don't settle for less than what God wants for your life. He wants greater things for you. Check out Ephesians 3.20, last verse we'll look at, and then we'll end. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask for or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Women, as we close this morning, here's my challenge to you. In your heart of hearts, I want you to start to believe what I hope my three daughters and my two sons will believe, that the God who created you actually wants greater things for your life that he is a good God who wants good things for your life, that you are worth a loving, God-centered relationship. So don't settle for less. And when you don't settle for less, you know what? Sometimes it's lonely. Sometimes you have to wait. Sometimes it's hard. I heard someone say that the trash gets taken out more than a Christian single 
trying to follow Jesus. But the only place the trash gets taken to is the dump. And you don't have to go there because you are worth so much more. Says your pastor who loves you, please don't compromise. God has greater plans for you. He has plans that are immeasurably more than you could ever ask for or imagine. Can we pray together, church? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Um, Father God, I just thank you for being the God who loves us, who cares. The God who's writing a greater story for our lives. And my prayer is that some of you would allow your hearts and minds to be softened a little this morning and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Maybe you're the girl who just needed to hear that God has greater plans for you, that you don't need to settle for the relationship you're in right now. Maybe you're the the single guy who's been challenged to fight for purity so that you can have real intimacy later, that you're gonna write a real love story that you'd be proud to tell your kids and grandkids someday. Maybe you're a married couple and God used one of these questions to just spark a thought that's gonna lead to a discussion between the two of you at lunch today that'll hopefully help to to strengthen your marriage, take it to a greater place. But however God spoke to you today, my challenge is that you wouldn't simply just hear the words, but you would actually take action. You'd actually respond to what you've heard. Father, thank you for being a good God who wants good things for his children. Thank you for being the God who's not looking for perfect people who are good, but for being the God of resurrection who takes dead things and brings them back to life. God, help us to be a people who trust you enough that we're not gonna settle for crumbs in our life, but we're gonna take steps with you in order to discover the greater things, the greater story that you have for us, a life greater than anything else we could ever, ever imagine. We pray these things today. In the powerful name of your son, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can we stand together and sing and celebrate what God is doing in the lives of his people? Say
upon these, your people today. God, as always, I pray that you would give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard today in this incredible story of Adam and Eve, Father God. But God, I, I pray that we wouldn't just be people who come and, and sit in rows and, and hear a message and just walk out of here to business as usual, to life unchanged. But God, that we would also be people who not only have the wisdom to hear, but have the courage to take action that we would be able to take the truth of your word to start to apply it into our lives, 
so that we can move from the smaller story of us to the greater story that you have planned for us. God, thank you for being a God who loves us, who cares about us, and who has a greater story written for us. We love you, God. And Lord, today we just pray that that you would help us to be able to see what we need to do and make the changes we need to make. We pray these things in Jesus' name today. Amen. God bless you guys. I hope you have an awesome week. I want to remind you that next week will be our last 1030 service um, over Memorial Day weekend. So I hope to see you here for that. And then again, starting in June, we're going to go to one service at 10 o'clock. God bless you guys. Hope you have a great week. Hope to see you back next week for part four of Adam and Eve. Thank you, Jesus. Set me Savior, He rescued me.